Utah skiers and riders, and welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Thanks to Utah's own Pixie and the Partygrass Boys for livening things up today. And a shout out to High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home here in the American West. When you're in town, visit one of High West's locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. And welcome back to Identity Properties in Park City, joining us again on Last Chair. For more than four decades, Identity Properties has been matching ski certification rentals in Park City. The season is underway here in Utah, and the Christmas holiday is sneaking up just around the corner. You know, with the greatest snow on earth, Utah offers some remarkable resort skiing. But more and more, skiers are also looking beyond the lift lines and into the backcountry. Journalist Tony Gill grew up in the Midwest, skiing little 300-foot hills in Wisconsin, much as I did. When he came to Utah a decade ago, he started to find a home in the glades and meadows of the Wasatch Mountains backcountry. Over the past few years, Tony has used his platform as a freelance journalist and outdoor writer for Salt Lake City Magazine to bring greater awareness of snow safety. The backcountry can be a place of great joy gliding through powder in peace and serenity. But it can also be a dangerous place, as we sadly witnessed last season with six ski and snowboard fatalities in the Utah backcountry. Tony will take us on a backcountry tour along the Wasatch with a strong emphasis on safety. What do you need to know? How can you find the education? What do you need to acquire for gear? And where do you get the forecast? It's a fun look at backcountry skiing in Utah, as well as a wake-up call to be prepared. Now let's join journalist Tony Gill on Last Chair to learn more. And we're here today with Tony Gill, a avid skier, outdoor enthusiast, a journalist, uh, works for Salt Lake City Magazine and an avalanche educator. And Tony, thanks for joining us on Last Chair. Thanks a lot for having me. I know as skiers, this is that time of year in November now where you kind of look up to the mountains, you're looking at the snowpack. We had a great October with snow, but particularly when you're looking out in the backcountry, you know, it's not just the amount of snow, but it's how long it's been around and all sorts of other elements. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, everyone gets really, really excited for early season snowfall for good reason. We've been baking in the sun all summer and we're ready to get back to the hills. But, you know, we need good, consistent snowfall throughout the year to build a healthy snowpack. Well, fingers crossed right now that we're going to have that here in Utah. I want to learn a little bit more about you. And I was uh, excited to hear that you two, like me, come from the Midwest and found your way out here. But how did you get into this crazy sport? My parents, my dad took me skiing when I was a kid. I grew up in suburban Chicago and I went skiing primarily in southern Wisconsin and a couple teeny little resorts there that had 200 some odd vertical feet. And my brother and I, we just, we loved it. We ripped around, went night skiing all the time. And eventually my parents took us out to Utah on a vacation. I think the first time I ever skied outside of the Midwest was at Deer Valley when I was a little kid and kind of fell in love with it and always knew I would end up pushing most things in life aside to go skiing more. It's really a change when you've grown up at places like Alpine Valley and Wilmot, in my case, Cascade Mountain in Wisconsin. Then you come out here to the big mountains and it's awe-inspiring, isn't it? You kind of can't imagine it. It exploded my young brain to think that this was out there and becomes kind of a compulsion. I was pretty ready to leave the Midwest in search of bigger mountains by the time I was old enough. So, On your way to Utah, you made a pass through New England as well. Yep. I went to college in Maine, a little school in Waterville called Colby, and went skiing at Sugarloaf as much as I possibly could. 
still made an annual trip out west. Did a couple times. I went to Snowbird with my brother and my dad. And as soon as I graduated, I moved here with my now wife. And, you know, we did the classic come for six months and stay for the rest of your lives thing that so many of us do. How did you get into your career as a journalist? Kind of through skiing, actually. I graduated with a history degree from undergrad. And I came out to Utah and I was just working in ski shops, kind of doing whatever I could to go ski as much as I could. Eventually, I went to grad school at Westminster and was working on writing and journalism there. And I started working for Telemark Skier Magazine when that was still a print publication. And uh, I'm a teleskier, by the way, in case you couldn't tell from that. You know, we had a lot of fun there for a few years. We traveled around a lot, all of us on staff. We did it all. We took the photos. We, you know, wrote all the words. We planned the trips. We made a movie every year. The guy who was in charge of that, Josh Madsen, still runs a shop in Salt Lake. I think it's probably the only tele shop in the country. It's called Free Heel Life. But so it was fun getting involved in that magazine and trying to put together an editorial calendar. And that kind of set me on the path. So even my non-skiing activities kind of led to, you know, came through skiing in my life in a certain way. It's really fun to translate your passion through words to convey the feeling and the sense of what it's like to be out there in the backcountry. It's hard to describe to people. It, you know, backcountry skiing is kind of this bizarre activity when you describe it to someone who doesn't know what it is. It's, you know, you walk uphill for hours for, you know, a couple minutes of turns, like, and that's difficult for people to understand why that's so appealing. But if you can try to share that with people through, you know, storytelling, it's a, it's a really rewarding way to share that, I think, and hopefully inspire some more people to get out. What was your transition from resort skiing to backcountry? How did that transpire for you out, I imagine, out here in Utah? Yeah, it was out here in Utah. I did a little bit of, you know, very mild backcountry skiing in New England, just sort of like off the Appalachian Trail, in freezing, terrible conditions. But yeah, out here, I initially came out and I was skiing in Little Cottonwood at Alton Snowbird a lot. And there's just a ton of good skiers that you meet at that place. And you look around, at, there's all these beautiful mountains surrounding you. And as good as Alta and Snowbird are, and the snow is incredible and the terrain's great, it's hard not to just get drawn in and wonder what it would be like to stand on top of those other mountains and ski down. So you stare at them all day, every day while you're skiing, and eventually you get curious and you want to walk out there. What were some of your first backcountry outings here in Utah? Oh, like... A lot of that south-facing stuff across the street, you know, off like Flagstaff and things like that. I did Superior probably well before I should have been going up there just because you, it's that big, obvious south-facing mountain looking at you. And yeah, it's right off the road there. So there's no approach. And you didn't have to worry about route finding and things like that. So I'm sure I was in way over my head and I obviously didn't make the best decisions in my initial times out there because I didn't really know what I was doing, but it was enough to really get me excited and to meet the right people who I could, you know, follow and learn from and eventually make it a large part of my life to go backcountry skiing. Did you have any early mentors here in Utah that introduced you to backcountry and safety in the backcountry? Yeah, kind of a, a few that came and went, just, you know, random people who you knew from the resort who were willing to go out with you if you knew how to use a beacon and shovel pretty well, they'd be happy to go out with you. And then I kind of had a group of friends who I sort of learned along the way with and we kind of grew together as, as like backcountry skiers which is really nice because it helps you you know keep each other in check and learn how to communicate the right way and you know you spend a lot of time with people who you're backcountry skiing with so they may as well be people that you enjoy a conversation with as well so yeah a bunch of my close friends. 
Backcountry safety is a big issue, and it's a big topic here in Utah. And we had a fairly tragic season last year with six skier deaths, skier and snowboarder deaths here in Utah in avalanches. What was the situation last year that really led to these tragedies that occurred in January and February? It had its origins much earlier in the season, didn't it? Sure. The primary issue is last year, we dealt with a difficult snowpack. It's not unprecedented by any means in Utah, but we had a persistent weak layer kind of throughout the range on a lot of aspects. We usually have them on north facing aspects primarily, but we had them, you know, through southeast facing aspects last year. And that persistent weak layer was the product of early season snow in November and then an extremely dry December where it almost didn't snow at all for the entire month. So you have that early season snow that's sitting there. It turns into facets, which is a term for what the snow grains look like. And if it's sitting there, you know, with really cold nights, the moisture gets pulled out of the snow and it turns into this very sugary, you know, non-cohesive surface. So what happened was that happens fairly quickly. That fastening process can happen, you know, in hours to days, but it takes months for that to heal. So as the snow continued to build up on top of it, you had, you know, a thicker and thicker slab of snow sitting on this very weak layer that was near the ground. So deep in the snowpack and it's an unpredictable avalanche problem. It you know, you can't really see it unless you're digging deep in pits. It's long lasting. So it last, you know, it hung around for months in the ski season. And eventually I think there was, you know, forecasting fatigue. It was difficult for people to continue to convey the, the risk that was posed by this persistent weak layer that was deep in the snow. Because when people are avoiding the slopes where that's an issue, you're not getting this negative feedback. You're not seeing these avalanches occur. Like, you know, after a storm, you'll see a bunch of avalanches in the storm snow. And it's very easy to understand that these avalanches are prevalent. They're happening right now. We can see them happening. We know that we can avoid them for a couple of days and then get back out there on these slopes. But this persistence lab problem was deep in the snowpack, wasn't rearing its head if, as people were making more conservative decisions in the backcountry, and eventually it led to a complacency where people start to get drawn out into the steeper terrain where these persistent slab avalanches ultimately can happen. So that's, I think it was a difficult year last year in that sense in Utah. I remember in early December last year, I went up into Empire Pass with Craig Gordon from Utah Avalanche Center, and it was a really good instructional period for me. If you can recall back then, we had had maybe a foot or so of snow on the ground, and it had been around for a while, and we had a little bit of a layer of a couple of inches of fresh, and it was very illustrative to what you're speaking about, that that foot of snow that was on the ground was really quite rotten. It had been around for a long time, and nothing was adhering to it, and Craig was pretty accurate in his forecast saying, you know, as we get more snow, this is going to slide. And that's exactly what happened as we started to see in December and really saw in January. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, it's not uncommon for us to have faceted layers in Utah every year. We get them early in the season, but, you know, they heal more quickly with more snowfall. So if we get more consistent snowfall, they heal. And we kind of had a very dry start to the winter last year. And yeah, eventually I think it's, you just get this baked in complacency throughout the community where people start stepping out little bits at a time. And the accidents we saw were not on extreme terrain, but they were on areas that while considered, some of them were considered safer, but they're still avalanche terrain. Anything over 30 degrees is avalanche terrain. And we were all cruelly reminded of that last season with the way that some of the accidents played out. 
Going into last season, we were in the COVID period. We really weren't sure what was going to be happening at the resorts. There was a big rush for people to buy backcountry gear. It was becoming more accessible. More companies had it available. And there was this fear, I know, amongst many of us that we were going to really have this Armageddon of newcomers not really knowing what they were doing going into the backcountry. But what we actually saw last winter was really quite different than that in terms of who was involved in these accidents. Yeah, there were certainly a lot of new backcountry skiers last year, but kind of nationally, around the West at least, there was a similar snowpack issue, just persistence labs all over the place. And we didn't get a spate of accidents from new backcountry skiers like some people were expecting. It was a lot of the people were, you know, ranged from somewhat to very experienced, the people who were caught in avalanches. And I think it was a good wake up call for a lot of people in the backcountry community, myself included, about certain behaviors that we have, certain things that we take for granted, certain shortcuts that we find that, you know, when we have a more stable snowpack for a season, we kind of don't get those very blunt data points that remind us of the consequences if we make a mistake. And I don't mean mistake to, you know, pass judgment on anyone because all of us make mistakes and every avalanche accident is a combination usually of a mistakes that you know, we as skiers make combined with a certain degree of randomness from the snowpack and the weather conditions. And it takes all of that for there to be an accident. And last season showed that even some incredibly experienced, very well-respected, terrific athletes can get caught. So most of us took notice, I think, from that. A lot of it comes down to decision-making. And, you know, it's easy to go out there and just think, well, this is not going to happen to me. But can you talk a little bit about the psychological aspects of decision-making in the backcountry? And how do you make that prudent decision versus a decision that's going to maybe be a lot of fun, but maybe also put you at risk? So this is a growth process that every backcountry skier goes through. And, you know, I've been doing this for 10 plus years now, and I've, I've seen a huge change in my own decision-making calculus, but a lot of it starts at home. A lot of it starts before you hit the skin track in the morning, knowing there's certain terrain that you will enter, knowing there's certain terrain you won't enter. And if you've decided that you're not entering certain terrain because of a, you know, persistent slab danger, that we're not going to go there no matter what, we're going to avoid that aspect, or we're going to ski low slope angles, and we're going to do the best we can to mitigate that risk. And it's so easy to say that now sitting here talking about skiing and it's infinitely more difficult as you are on the slope and you're standing adjacent to this beautiful looking run with a bunch of snow and you see tracks on it maybe. All of these signs saying it's probably not going to happen and it takes a ton of discipline to stick to those decisions you've made and know that even if you have a high likelihood of it not occurring, it's still possible and walking away from that, being comfortable walking away from that. And if you can't do that, if you can't step back and know that you're going to walk away from something that looks good and do that with a smile on your face, then it's very difficult to backcountry ski safely, I think. Hard to train for that, isn't it? Super hard to train for it. Yeah. And again, that wasn't the case with all of the accidents last year, but, you know, just sort of as we get drawn out, there's that appeal to skiing runs that other people have skied that we see on the internet or skiing runs that we've skied before. And we think we know how they behave in all circumstances, but we just don't. And embracing that uncertainty and using that to reinforce a discipline in your own decision-making is a difficult tool to learn and one that all of us could still get better at, certainly. 
One of the areas that was a challenge last year was the gate at the top of the 9990 lift on the Park City Ridge Line, an amazing access point to the backcountry lift served and takes you out of the ski area and into the backcountry that's not avalanche mitigated, that is not patrolled, resulted in two deaths last year. This easy access is no longer available, but the psyche of people going through that gate, despite the warnings that are out there, still people would go through that gate and maybe not be fully prepared for what they were getting into. Yeah, tons of people would go out there that weren't fully prepared for what they are getting into. And I think a lot of that comes down to, A, just not really understanding the difference between backcountry terrain and resort terrain. And I know the signs, they seem obvious to people who are experienced skiers. You know, there's big skull and crossbones. But I think to a less experienced skier, that's not wholly different from those inbounds gates that say avalanche area, enter only when open, something like that. I think it's difficult for people to discern that actual level of risk that exists just beyond the rope line. Like it's feet away from where you can happily go skiing without really having to worry about any avalanche risk. And then there's the lemming effect of just you keep seeing people going and people figure if all those people are going, it has to be safe. And that 9990 access gate was, you know, almost unparalleled in Utah, certainly for just easy access to, you know, significant avalanche terrain, like long, steep runs that avalanche frequently. And you can see it from the chairlift. It's a short little like two minute boot pack from the top of the chair. And then you can more or less just traverse a ridge and drop into all of these big lines without having to work very hard. And you can see it the entire time from the chair. So it's, it's like a magnet that just sucks people in. And, you know, that wasn't necessarily the case with the accidents that occurred on the ridgeline last year of people who were unprepared. But every season we get to the end of the season, and I'm frankly surprised there aren't more accidents that occur on that ridgeline just with the number of people who ski up there. So Park City Mountain made the decision to close that gate beginning this season. They still have a gate open at peak five. What's the difference between those two gates, the 9990 at the top of the lift and the peak five gate that's actually a little bit lower on the mountain? So the, the biggest difference in practice is you can't really see the terrain from the peak five gate. So where people will access the backcountry now, you're not just going to be staring at these big open slopes. If you go up 9990, you'll still be able to see all this backcountry terrain and you'll see people there, but you're going to have to go to a different point in the mountain and you're going to have to skin for a few hundred feet to access that ridgeline. So it immediately provides a filter because you're going to have people, most people who don't have skins aren't going to be willing to boot pack all the way up that ridge. It's kind of a painful boot pack. So that'll cut out a fair portion of unprepared skiers. There will still be plenty that do access the ridgeline. And I'm a big proponent of access to public lands. So, you know, hopefully we'll see more responsible backcountry use while still enabling people to access the terrain off the ridgeline, which is really great terrain for that people have been skiing for decades out here. We're going to talk a little bit more later on in this podcast about trailhead education. We're with Tony Gill talking avalanche safety today on Last Chair. We'll be right back after this short break. One of the great aspects of taking a winter trip to Park City is the vast array of vacation rental opportunities. Everything from intimate slopeside inns to comfy rentals just a few steps from historic Main Street. 
Park City's Identity Properties has been matching skiers to their home away from home for over 40 years. Everything from studios to four-bedroom rentals and more. Identity Properties offers a truly distinctive collection of Park City vacation rentals, many with heated pools and hot tubs and ask about the winter season courtesy shuttle at select locations. You have many choices in vacation properties, but as a Park City local myself, I know the value that long-term knowledge brings. That's Identity Properties. Check them out at pclodge.com or call 1-800-245-6417 for rates and availability. That's pclodge.com. Identity Properties, your home away from home in Park City. Now let's get back to our conversation with journalist Tony Gill. We're talking backcountry safety on Last Chair. And we're back with Tony Gill here on Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Today we are talking avalanche safety and avalanche education. Tony, in the first half, we talked about some of the circumstances that we'd encountered with the snow conditions, decision-making, and some of the other elements that go into avalanche safety. Let's talk about the educational opportunities. And we're really blessed, I think, here in Utah with the resources that we have with the Utah Avalanche Center. You are an instructor with them. Can you give us just a little bit of a primer on what education is available out here in Utah? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The Utah Avalanche Center, the UAC, is an enormous resource for backcountry skiers, and you will find nothing quite like it anywhere else in terms of the full breadth of, you know, services they offer and, and everything like that. So we can start by talking about the classes that we offer, the educational classes that we offer, and then get into the sort of daily forecasting that's also available. But the UAC this year is trying to enhance our community presence. So, you know, give more of a face to the group of people there. So we're not just a website that you go to, to look at the avalanche forecast. And this year we're doing a bunch of free community beacon practice classes at, you know, Sugar House Park and up in Park City, just trying to engage with different parts of the community, get people out, practicing with their beacons and rescue gear, talking about avalanche safety and just meeting other backcountry skiers and, you know, kind of being a sounding board for people if they have questions or concerns and thoughts. And we have a huge community of instructors and volunteers and dedicated people who are always excited to get out and meet new skiers. So we started that this fall a little bit and we've had good turnout, which has been nice. And then also we're expanding the Trailhead Avalanche Awareness Program this season where People from the UAC are going to be at various trailheads, popular backcountry trailheads throughout the winter, just to sort of be an information kiosk. If people have questions about the forecast, they can come up and ask questions. If they want any tips on how to use their rescue gear best, you know, we can run beacon drills and rescue drills with people in the parking lot. And just to engage with people, get observations from them, you know, and answer questions they might have about the snowpack and the forecast and things that we're seeing out there. So... Those are all free things that we're doing to, just to try to engage as many people as possible. And then the UAC also does run sort of a, a larger complement of courses for a more comprehensive education. And that starts with half-day rescue classes, companion rescue classes, where you spend four hours running through a bunch of drills, and it's all about practice with your beacon, shovel, and probe, sort of dialing in different rescue scenarios, getting getting it all to be second nature. So if you ever do unfortunately have to participate in a rescue, you won't be asking questions of, am I doing this right? It'll be, you know, old hat for you. And as well as it'll give you the tools to practice in the future and stay up to date and current with your skills. And then beyond that, we offer backcountry 101 and 201 classes, 
which are a one day and a two day course respectively that are sort of just an intro into how to backcountry ski. They're not super focused on snow science. They're not super focused on rescue. They're about taking the forecast and the tools that we have available and making responsible choices before we leave the house and how to implement that when we're in the backcountry traveling. And they're super fun. We're out there skiing powder, skinning around in beautiful places. So I got to participate in some of those last year and they were super fun. People had a great time and we're really looking forward to getting as many people out, hopefully learning how to backcountry ski safely this winter. I particularly like what you just mentioned about the backcountry courses. So if I'm a kind of a never ever or just getting into backcountry skiing and I really want to learn a little bit more about it, is that a really good place for me to start? Great place to start. The traditional education model of sort of your level one, level two through ARI or AAI, something like that, is a ton of information for someone who's just getting started. If you've never used your skins before, this is a great place to start. We'll give you skinning techniques on how to move uphill more efficiently and comfortably. We'll give you advice on layering and what to eat in the backcountry. Just all the little things that can make you have a better day out there. So it's not just focused on what are these snow grains doing with this different weather pattern. So, you know, frankly, if you're a newer backcountry skier, you should be reading the report, taking the tools available, making conservative decisions and, you know, implementing them in a fun, safe way when you're in the backcountry. So we're trying to give skiers the tools to do that and get the experience in the backcountry that's necessary to move on to the next level of education if that's something you want to pursue at some point. Last year, because of COVID, it was more difficult to do the in-person training. So I think a lot of education went online. Is there more of a blend this year between online webinars and actual hands-on get-together with an instructor? Yes. So for the 101 class, there's a single field day. For the 201 class, there's two field days. But both of them are preceded by a several-hour educational session. For the classes we're teaching in the Cottonwoods, like in the Salt Lake area, we'll be teaching those in person at our new UAC headquarters, which is over on 33rd above Lone Pine. And for the more remote areas for Park City and our other rural courses, we'll still be doing the classroom sessions over Zoom, but then the field days will be in person. But we're very excited to get back in rooms with people and see people face to face. Yeah, I think all of us are. We're looking forward to a little bit of a different ski season where we can maybe take the masks off in the lift lines and see people. Let's go to the trailhead education. I think this is a really vital one. And I imagine that as an avalanche safety instructor, educator as you are, being out at a trailhead is a pretty fascinating place to be to answer questions that people have. Absolutely. I think it's one of the more fun things we do, first of all. It's just great to meet people who are all excited about the same thing. We're all doing the same thing going backcountry skiing and snowboarding and looking for powder. And, you know, it's a great community to be a part of. So just to meet people in that community is great. And there's this huge range of personalities that you'll meet. There are like absolute fitness maniacs who are running uphill and, you know, before dawn. And then there's people just going for a casual stroll for low angle wiggles in the trees. And then there's mountaineers and there's everybody in between. So you kind of see it all at a trailhead, which is fun because we all start from the same spot. And for me, it's one of the more rewarding parts of working with the UAC, just being able to, you know, to be a present face if people do have questions. And I, you know, I'm not the the end all be all expert or anything like that. We're all just regular backcountry users like everybody else. So it's nice to be out there sharing that, you know, experience and any that we have with anyone who cares to listen. Maybe a little bit of a different question, but for 
visitors to Utah who are coming in from afar and maybe want to go and spend a couple of days off the resorts and learning backcountry, are there guide services or are there places they can go to get an educated introduction into the backcountry? There are a ton of guide services. So if you're a never ever in the backcountry, you could, you know, taking a course with the UAC is a great place to start, even if you, you know, want to experience the backcountry, right? Because we're still going out there backcountry skiing, you'll learn along the way. But there's a bunch of full service guide companies, UMA, Inspired Summit, that, you know, have everything from snowmobile powered your snowmobile access touring to, you know, full human powered touring to everything in between and with, you know, very experienced guides who can take you out safely and help you enjoy the terrain that you're unfamiliar with, for sure. You know, I know skiing in Europe a lot, it's pretty common out there and you don't think of it as much here. I think we have a different mindset, but it really is a good safe way to get an introduction. Yeah, certainly. The guides are very experienced, you know, they know where they're going, what they're doing. They, they take avalanche safety seriously. So it's a great way to kind of take the guesswork out of what you're doing. And they're very receptive. They'll make you part of the process and help you understand why they're choosing terrain that they've chosen. And, you know, you can learn a lot too while you're out with a guide. It's not just following them around to hopefully ski some powder. You can learn a lot from the experience that a lot of them have. So one of the benefits that we have here in Utah is that we have an amazing forecast center with Utah Avalanche Center. And I know many of us who ski the resorts were used to taking a look on open snow in the morning to see what the powder forecast is, but it's a lot more sophisticated than that. And UAC offers some amazing forecast services. Can you introduce our listeners to what those services are and how important they are for venturing out into the backcountry? Yeah, absolutely. The UAC forecast is sort of the starting point for every backcountry skier or just about every backcountry skier before a day of heading out. When you go to the website, utahavalanchecenter.org or open the Utah Avalanche Center app, the mountains are broken down into regions and they have a general avalanche safety rating for that day that will, you know, be color coded, whether it's considerable or high or moderate. And then when you click on the region, it'll give you a much more detailed breakdown by aspect and elevation of what sort of avalanche hazards you can expect. And the UAC forecasting does a really good job of kind of imparting a little bit of education into their forecast each day. So rather than just saying we have a persistent weak layer on, you know, north facing terrain above 9,500 feet, they'll kind of tell us what that means. They may even go so far as to say it's unlikely that we'll see an avalanche on this, but if we do probably large and unsurvivable, you know, so things like that, just that will help you understand the scale of avalanches that you're looking at and the probability and on, using that as a, you know, another tool in your toolbox to make your decisions for the day. So everything starts with that forecast. They talk about snow conditions as well, sort of recent weather patterns that we've had, how that'll impact the skiing sometimes. So you can use it as advice for where to go. If you're looking for good snow, they, they might say it's super safe on the South facing, but it got totally baked yesterday. And so unless you're there in the afternoon when it's corning up, it's going to be rutted nightmare on the way down. So there's a lot of great tools just on the on the app or the website that are available. And I think that's, you know, I check it every single day before I go skiing. And even when I'm not skiing, I check it just to stay up to date with what's going on in the backcountry. That colored compass rose is so easy to understand. You can take a look at it and you can determine exactly where the safest places are going to be in that region. Sure. Yeah. The, the color compass rose is a great overview to start with. And then we always encourage everyone to read the full description because the compass rose is 
like I said, it's an overview and it, it, it lacks nuance and it's meant to lack nuance because it's a very, you know, clear descriptor of what people are, are expecting. And again, I'm not, a, I'm not one of those snow science forecasters. Those people will forget more about snowpacks than I will ever know, but they're crazy, aren't they? Yeah. They're out there every day, digging around, obsessing over snow crystals and they do a, a really great job of, of trying to to provide a realistic expectation of what we can expect. In the community, you'll hear a million different opinions about every day's forecast if you look for it, but these people are out there working extremely hard and are all extremely trusted within the community. Yeah, I think it's an amazing benefit that we have here in Utah to have that as a uh, means of helping us protect ourselves when we go out into the backcountry. Absolutely. It's a real gift for all of us, for sure. Tony Gillipson, great to have you here on Last Chair. We're going to close out the podcast with a section that I call Fresh Tracks. A few little questions to wrap it up here today. And I know that this is a tough one because you don't like to give away the goods, but do you have any backcountry lines that you would share that are just like that special place that is just really memorable for you? Stairs Gulch for me. I waited for years to ski Stairs Gulch. It's a big line in Big Cottonwood, and I had a great day with some very good friends and some very good snow up there. And it's a very unpredictable area for with a lot of avalanche exposure on all sides. So I waited I waited years to ski that in good snow and I have I will take the memories of that day for a long time. You waited for a few years, but did you feel comfortable when you went out there that your knowledge was helping you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean that patience is key. So you know, I'm looking to do this for a long time, so I'm not making bold decisions out there anymore, <laughs> certainly. So you're a Telemark skier. Do you have a favorite go-to resort when you're going to do an inbounds day? Snowbird is absolutely my favorite resort. It's probably the reason I moved to Utah. What do you like about it? The terrain is just incredible. And the tram to get 3,000 foot laps with, you know, a single chair ride. It's pretty awesome. Skiing Great Scott, going all the way to the bottom. Hard to beat. And there's a small but passionate Tele community here in Utah, right? Yeah, there's a few of us left. We're dropping like flies as the AT gear gets so good, but there's still a few of us free hill skiing out there. So do you have a favorite High West whiskey? The original Rendezvous Rye, when that came out, kind of blew my mind. I was pretty young, and that was probably the first good whiskey I ever had. So, Have you tried some of the others? Uh, yeah, I've tried the campfires pretty good. Smoky and good. Yeah, it's good at a campfire. Little Boo Rye? Yeah, the Boo Rye's good. The son of Boo Rye, right? They had another... Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're always coming out with something. And then one last one. I know this is a tough one that stumps a lot of people, but you have your passion in the backcountry here in Utah. And if you could describe that feeling, that sensation that you experience back there in one word, what's that one word that describes what the backcountry means to you? Joy. Pure joy. It's just a fun activity. I think part of why I love it is I try not to take it too seriously. We're just out there having fun and get back to the car at the end of the day with a smile on our face and say that we had a nice time. And whether it's bright sunshine with perfect snow or horrible sleet, you know, with upside down zipper crust on top, it's I have fun in all of it. And I find a lot of joy and a lot of reward just in getting out, even on a day that might be largely miserable. Well, it has been a joy, Tony, to have you here on Last Chair. Thank you for all you do in helping to keep us safe and as a journalist for spreading the word on avalanche safety education. Thanks for joining us on Last Chair. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I've really enjoyed Tony Gill's ongoing coverage on Utah's backcountry scene. Check him out at saltlakecitymagazine.com. If you're heading to Utah this winter and thinking at all about going into the backcountry, take the time right now to make sure that you're prepared. Get some education, get the gear, 
and be certain to get the forecast once you're here and ready to go out. You can check it all out at utahavalanchecenter.org. It's a great resource for know-before-you-go education as well as daily forecasts. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. Thank you for joining us on Last Chair. We'll be back soon with more episodes. To close us out, let's welcome back our friends Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. From all of us at Ski Utah, I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun. It is a great day to ski. Oh, I love to ski. I'm living in Utah. I'm living in Utah.